a very good day and welcome everybody once again to a very very hot uh, stifling hot Costa Blanca on the 29th of July um, I say stifling hot if I'm prepared to um, admit it I'm certainly a lot better off than some of the guys who are out working in this heat we're indoors we've got the fans and hopefully uh, we're talking about uh, football with Rob Daniels so without any further ado I'm going down to Player San Juan and um, saying good day welcome to Rob and how's the heat affecting you down there yeah hi Vince hi everybody um it's extremely hot down here as well, Vince. Um, I've got oh, my blinds three quarters down, otherwise the sun would be coming, beating straight into my office. Um, it, it's it's probably nice if you've got a chance to go to the beach, but it's not very nice if you have to work outside in it, as you were saying about uh, people working outside in it, um, which I've done over the years, and I think you have as well. But um, no... It's, it's it's typical Spanish weather for this time of year. It's extremely hot, extremely sunny, um, cools down at night time, so it's nice to go out after dark and uh, have a bit of a stroll. But try and stay in as, as much as you can during the day. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, one of the reasons I came here was to learn about living in another country. Uh, we certainly had hot weather in Cornwall, um, but we never had uh, 43s and 44s, which we've had this year here in Spain. Uh, let me go quickly to the uh, women's uh, quarterfinals and this is the Olympic Games and it's strange because there doesn't seem to be much of an atmosphere about this tournament. However, the uh, quarterfinals, Canada will be playing Brazil, Great Britain play Australia, Sweden play Japan and the Netherlands play the United States. I've got to say the Netherlands have been scoring quite freely. They've, they've had a, about a 10 in one game and an 8 in another. So uh, they've really done quite well uh, as far as scoring is concerned. But uh, I still think the favourites will probably be coming from Canada, maybe even Great Britain. Uh, certainly there's a possibility of the United States who don't seem the powerhouse they've been. But that's the women's tournament. We go to the men's, where Spain are in the quarterfinals against the Côte d'Ivoire, the Ivory Coast. Uh, Japan mm -hmm. play New Zealand. Brazil play Egypt. And the Republic of Korea play Mexico. Have you followed any of this, or am I right in saying there seems to be very little enthusiasm for the football tournament with grassroots support in Spain although I did see the game against Australia last week I thought playing uh, Spain played pretty well although there was only one goal in it um, but you know it's nice to see the countries doing well I don't know about you I love the I love the Olympic Games but the football tournament seems a little bit sort of over and above what I think the games were originally intended for. Your thoughts on um, what I've been talking about? Right, Vince. Well, I have been sort of following the Olympics, but um, because of the live events, they're, they're in the middle of the night for us, aren't they? So we can't see them. So we, we um, I've just been sort of like catching up um, with the, if you like, the highlights and things like that. I know that the Spanish men's team, they beat Chile, I think, and uh, now into the quarterfinals. I know that the English female team set off well, and apparently, as you said, they're still doing pretty well. Um, but I've noticed in the mix with in the women's, there's also Brazil involved. Now, I don't know how Brazil are going at the moment, the female team, but it's Brazil at the end of the day, isn't it? So uh, they, they're going to be... Um, they're going to be good, but um, what, from what I've seen, I've enjoyed um, the Olympics, but I haven't seen anything live except for at the weekend. I watched the uh, skateboarding, la skateboarding live because it was the first time it had ever been um, in the Olympics, and I actually—it was the weekend, so I could stay up late. I actually ended up watching it um, because when I was a kid. Skateboarding, skateboarding was all the race. So to now see it as an Olympic sport, um, 
It's quite controversial. A lot of people don't think it should be, but I think it's a lot more interesting than watching uh, these these young people skateboarding. I than do think... watching the uh, fifty-kilometre walking race, for example. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think people are losing sight of what the Olympic Games meant, what why it was started. Uh, it's now headed, like everything, into the direction of how can we make a few extra bob. And, you know, uh, I notice in the politics now there's something about uh, somebody on a skateboard who um, is transgender and they don't want to do this and they want to do that. And I'm thinking to myself, no, that wasn't what the Olympic Games was about. It was about, um, you know, the likes of um, uh, the, the, the state of one state in Greece having to put um, men's pitting men's strength and guile against another state and you know i'm a spartan and all that sort of stuff i do think that um we've gone terribly out of sync with everything it's all this follow the money trail whichever way you look at it and um i would have been very happy to uh, see you know just a, a, an olympic football tournament for amateurs i was talking about this with eric during the week whereas uh, we had to sort of identify the politics be between uh, england scotland ireland and wales and how difficult it is to actually field the team that represents the united kingdom which be becomes great britain for this particular tournament it goes on and on and on everything is about politics and if you remember the games started i think it was um 1886 when it started Baron de Coubertin, the, the French guy that started it all, the whole point was that, y you know, it was to get the nations to sort of recreate the spirit of what was happening uh, in history uh, at the times of um, Greece and Roman empires and all that sort of stuff. So for me, um, you know, I, I think uh, it's just money. It's money now. But having said that, if you're an athlete um, or... As you see, I, I just find it very very difficult this business of, of skateboarding you've got an you've got no um for me they just don't look like athletes and yet i understand there's a skill i do understand that you know to to ride a skateboard does take a certain skill but then again when they're going up and down uh, buildings and taking over the barriers and coming down and um you know giving themselves uh, damage between the legs and all that sort of stuff just for a bit of fun on youtube it makes it a little bit less like an olympic sport and unfortunately um that's my perception but there we are um i'm a bit old school when it comes to things like this um i mean where do you stop well, it, well it, it, it Skateboarding has been around now for possibly 50 years, yeah? Yeah. Um, it, it was really big when I, when I was a kid. Um, and it is a lot more difficult than it looks. I don't know if you've ever tried, I don't know if you've ever tried skateboarding yourself. But what these, what these young lads are doing these days um, is extremely difficult and extremely skillful. And it's also quite dangerous because if you make a mess of all, then you can come a cropper. Now, one of the things that I thought, I, I, I imagine they'd be wearing protective knee pads and elbow pads and, and helmets and things like that because um, if you come off, then you, you can get quite badly hurt. But they weren't, they were just um, wearing like normal street clothes, weren't they? Like, um, well, like a fashion show, a lot of them. They were wearing sort of uh, street skateboarding but, clothes. But you see, for, for, for me. Uh, uh, Rob, um, sorry to interrupt, but the, 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 the feeling for me, you see, is I like the old school idea of, you know, you go through the school, you go through the, um, the different tiers to eventually become a representative at county level, um, represent your town, and then you go into these competitions. There's no reason why it couldn't be exactly the same, but you don't have to look scruffy. 
and unfortunately most of the people that uh, go around on the skateboards the last thing they ever think about is maybe looking as if they're going to represent anybody because most of the time they only represent themselves so um, I'm coming from a different perspective and it doesn't mean to say I am right the only thing is that it obviously wasn't around during the Olympic times, which is probably why I don't see it as an Olympic sport. But it is an Olympic sport, so in that respect, I'm definitely wrong. But uh, I, it's just... Well, I, it's, a, well, it's, a new, it's a new one they've introduced this time, isn't it? I mean, yeah. in, in the first Olympic Games of modern times, they used to have a tug-of-war competition, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and all sorts of things like that, which... Uh, so yeah, things sort of like change over time, don't they? Um, well, they do, but then, then it, again, it's nice to have classics because the classics don't change. That's why they're classics, and and it's like you know, if you try and develop just about everything, uh, eventually, you know, you take away from its classical structure. Look, I'm not going to tell you I'm right. I'm not going to tell you that I'm wrong. It's just my perspective vis-a-vis what's going on. But as it's part of the mm-hmm. Olympics, I've got to be uh, tolerant of the fact that my view is old-fashioned. So uh, let me move you to um, Rob's rumours. And let me ask you um, whether or not you've got anything that's particularly taken your fancy regarding the likes of the transfer of Harry Grealish, um, or Jack Grealish, sorry, and um, Harry Kane. Um, You know, I know United have got a player from Real Madrid. What's caught your eye? Anything at all? Well, at the moment, it is mostly rumours, Vince. Um, There's a lot of talk about... uh, Paul Pogba going to uh, Paris Saint-Germain um, from Man U. Um, th- there's a lot of talk about people swapping players one for another. Um, Arsenal, for example, at the moment, are offering um, Hector Bellerin um, in part exchange for the Argentinian striker Lautaro Martinez. Um, Aston Villa have put in a 30 million euros offer for Leon Bailey that Bayer Leverkusen want 35 million for him. So he's a Jamaican winger. Um, it's, it's all up in the air at the moment. Um, there are some transfers which have already been done, but um, most of it is just is just talk. Um, whether it, the deals will generally come right to the end of the transfer window, don't they? Um, and the more we talk about rumours. Tomorrow, there'll be different rumours, won't they? Um, so I, I think we're probably better off waiting to find out towards the end of the transfer window when the season is just about to begin, what has actually happened rather than what possibly might happen at the moment. Um, the football presses I mentioned to you earlier on, um, in Spain at the moment, they're concentrating more on the Olympics because there isn't anything actually happening in football. Apart from um, tonight, there are 40 games for the um, preliminary round of the UEFA, um, the Europa League, as they call it these days. And there are teams from all the smaller countries who are playing the first round of the playoffs to actually get into the competition itself. Um, There's 40 matches being played this evening. Last night they played some Champions League um, qualifiers. And last night Atletico Madrid played as well. Um, And lost at the end of the match. Um, But it's either pre-season friendlies or the teams that uh, are playing the qualifiers to actually get into a European competition. Um, that there are so many of them, and most of the teams I've never heard of, and you've never heard of either, from uh, all, all different countries within Europe. But um, that's the situation that fo- as football goes at the moment. Um, you know that Real Madrid lost, don't you, against uh, against Stevie Gerrard's Rangers? Yeah. That was quite. A, yeah, yeah. That was uh, widely reported here um, because it was an upset. Um, they didn't Real Madrid expect to win everything and Rangers came out and beat them 2-1 good on Rangers I would say um, but Rangers again they, they were playing last night in a, um, a pre- preliminary round to see if they get into the Champions League proper um, 
I'm not sure how they ended up actually because um, I didn't stay till the end if you like it was, but there were so many matches going on for who's going to get into the actual first round proper of the Champions League tonight it's who's going to get into the first round proper of the UEFA League um, but like I said there's so many different matches going on it's difficult to keep track and at the moment from our point of view um there's nothing concrete that we can talk about. <laughs> you say that. I've got two guys doing concrete outside my window here. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that was a really nice pun. That. Anyway, um, going back just a little bit and accepting exactly what you're saying, there's too much going on. There's too much football. I mean, really, um, I, I, I go back to this business. Are we being sort of uh, kept talking about football rather than keeping an eye on the, the real issues of the day but uh, let's not get too too much involved with that as I just take you back for a second and looking at these transfer rumours and there's an awful lot of um, it's almost like going to the supermarket it's like you know let's have a Harry Grealish for three players from uh, one uh, maybe Spurs or somewhere and Harry Kane plus uh, a bag of spuds and um, uh, a carton of milk for uh, so-and-so. I mean, if you were a player and you found yourself being talked about in those terms, it's a team game when all's said and done. I mean, you've got Pogba talking at the moment about, you know, possibly moving, although he's got a year left of his contract or something like that, you know. I do think that this has really yeah. got silly and it's got to the stage where it really bugs me because most people, if you've got a contract and you've got a job, you should be bloody happy to actually have some sort of security in your life. These people not only um, have got the the upper hand when it comes to big money, but they don't have any adherence to the rules that they're making in the contract they're signing. And it's just, it's, be, it's becoming a nonsense for me. And to hear pundits talking about, um, you know, a two-for-one offer and uh, a Harry Kane plus this, that and the other, um, a bag of chips and um, a sack of spuds. I mean, you know, it, it's just nonsensical. It really does get my go. You would get quite cross, wouldn't you, if, if you found yourself being part of that conversation and if you were a pretty good footballer yourself. Well, yes, I mean, um, a lot, of, well, uh, as it always has been really, but um, this season particularly, a lot of footballers are basically used as pawns, aren't they, for, yeah, well, um, either way, and for example, Pogba, he's out of contract with Man U next, next year, so Man U would like, and then he'd be a free agent um, when he's out of contract. He can do. He can go wherever he wants if someone wants him. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to get the best price for him while he's still got the year's contract left. Because if he stays at Man U for the next season, uh, regardless if he plays or not, he'll probably play because I mean he, he is um, still in good form, isn't he? I mean, he, had, he had a good Euros. But um, when his contract runs out, he'll be a free agent to go wherever he wants and uh, Man U won't get any return for him. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's all negotiation. Um, but in the present climate, with um, all the teams being strapped for money and things like that, it is quite a lot of, yeah, we'll offer you these two if you give us, if you give us that one of yours. Um, it's a bit like swapping football cards, isn't it? Um, but these are actual... Um, people, these are actual players. Well, and, um, and, again, and set this set this against the backdrop of what I'm going to tell you now. Uh, again, in the press this morning, European football is beginning to see the scale of the financial impact of the coronavirus pandemic after a 3.4 billion fall in revenue, according to the finance company Deloitte, talking about last year, 2019. 20 uh, or the year before last now, isn't it? Overall revenue fell to 22.1 billion, with most European leagues halting in March 2020 before resuming without fans. It's the first reduction since the global financial crisis of 2008 2009. Now, uh, a guy from Deloitte who's called Dan Jones said. Its report only accounts for, in most cases, three months of COVID-19 impact. 
He added, it will be a number of years before the full financial impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on European football is known. But we're now beginning to see the scale of the financial impact that the pandemic has had on European clubs. Um, now, if we're talking like that, um, it seems a rather strange thing to me that we're able to still talk about all this money swilling around, um, you know, with people talking about the, the huge extravagance of funds that maybe one player can command. Um, Deloitte again, the company said in June that the combined revenue for Premier League clubs in 2019-20 dropped by about 13%, that's £648 million, to £4.5 billion. When combined with Europe's other big five leagues, the cumulative revenue decline was 11% to £13.2 billion. The report stated that while EFL clubs had shown remarkable resilience, the figures from all, almost a full season without matchday revenue would be sobering. However, with clubs around Europe hoping to welcome back near-capacity crowds from the beginning of the new season, there is hope the finance of clubs will improve. Despite the uncertainties of the past year's football and the public interest, it's shown great resilience. Now, when we're looking at companies talking about those types of losses, and if you remember, my comments have always been, I think this has been about a communist attack on a, a way of life. Put that against the background of China wanting to get involved in football and don't be surprised if things settle down and then at a future time they'll come up with another pandemic. Something that again will stop the Western economies because I think that's what this has always been about and to hear and see those figures come up and you know just almost like as it's a matter of fact do us a favour. How on earth can these players be talking about um, being transferred in that sort of um, a scenario? I, I don't understand this, Rob. Um, you know, we've seen millions of uh, pounds of debt in Manchester United, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Liverpool, Tottenham, you name them. They've all started to go uh, uh, this sob story about not being any money. But there is money, isn't there? Well, there is money, but it's not, um, if you like, it's not working um, capital that they've got. They've got a lot of assets, but um, it's all about cash flow, isn't it, um, at the end of the day, really. And all of these big clubs before the coronavirus, they were, they were all walking at a tightrope, as uh, we've mentioned before. Um, they seem like they're extremely wealthy, but they're not cash rich in the sense that um, unless there's money coming in through uh, the turnstiles or through uh, sales of merchandise, shirts and one thing or another, um, they, they've got a lot of wealth in the background, but they don't actually have very, they don't have very much leeway to, um, to keep going on a daily basis. But can, now, you, can, can you see where I'm coming from? Because communism comes from, in particular, China and Russia. But they now have a dilemma because basically they know damn well that if they stop football, they're going to have a lot of young men very, very full of unrest in their own countries. We also know that China is really um, pitching itself as the leading player in world economics these days. Um, USA doesn't particularly like uh, the, uh, the soccer because its population is more being promoted towards American football and basketball and baseball. Uh, so there's a dilemma. What do they do? They go into the European scenario and start buying up clubs. I think you might be able to see that I'm not as stupid as maybe some of my theories eventually might sound, because even behind the American bids, for the football clubs of the United Kingdom, in particular the Premier League, you can find links to Chinese money. It's so complicated and bizarre that I think sometimes maybe the Chinese communists themselves are now seeing that they can't be as communist as they used to be in the past, whereas Putin 
um, has now brought Russia to a different level of sort of capitalism where maybe it's going to be more difficult for them to go back to their old style values but I think the hardliners will still always be there, especially in China and Russia. Uh, do I sound as mad as all this sounds? No, I think um, when, when you talk about the political situation in places like China and Russia, um, you obviously research a lot more than I do. And it, what you say basically makes sense to me. Um, we we know that China is I think I think it's the world's biggest economy at the moment, and they are looking for world domination, aren't they? Uh, at the end of the day, but they don't they're not don't want to go to war about it, so they're going to do it through uh, different means, economic means, um, and the Russians at the moment. Um, it's difficult to say because uh, um, that Putin seems to have the whole country behind him, doesn't he? He's got a few dissidents who he puts in prison and, and basically you never see, they're never seen again like in the old days. But um, I, I think we're lucky. We might not think it sometimes, but I think we're lucky to live in Western Europe where at least there is a semblance of democracy and we've still got a, a, um, a certain amount of freedom. Um, not as much as we had before, but uh, I, I'm, I'm just pleased that, um, that I live and we live in um, in a Western European democracy. So do I, Rob. Look, I love this country that we live in, but I also do want the UK to prosper, not just uh, England. I mean, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, of course I do. I grew up with British people. I don't want anybody to suffer. But I do remember, um, and I've got to tell you something that was rather weird this morning. I went out on a long run um, fairly early this morning, about 8 o'clock, I think, I went out. And I came across this guy, um, and um, I said hello, and it was pretty obvious that he would have liked a small conversation. Um, he told me that his name was Panos, and he came from uh, Greece. And, um, you know, we got round to talking about the situation. It was what brought the whole thing together. A girl walking, uh, was walking along the uh, pavement very aggressively. In other words, there was no way she was going to allow this Panos or myself any space on the pavement to, uh, to come through. And I said, well, you know, <laughs> the world's changed. I said, in the past, I would have stepped aside to let a lady through and uh, she would have been quite happy to let me let her through. But she was determined to act this sort of aggressive woman bit. And basically, um, you know, we got talking about the political situation and before uh, you could say Jack Robinson, he was telling me the sort of things I've been talking about with you. You know what I feel like about this pandemic. You know I do believe that it's a contrived, prolonged assault. You know I know there's a disease. You know that uh, I believe that the flu and common cold, you don't see anybody with a cold or with flu. And it's not good enough to tell me it's because everybody's got masks on. It's definitely something that's been Chinese originated it's been money orientated I remember Putin going to the G7 and being insulted by David Cameron and you don't forget things like this especially when you're a world leader especially when you're a judo player because I know what judo players do they'll remember every last move you make and at the right time they will floor you with something that you're not expecting now that's my background. I'm going to go quickly to um, a bit of football news. Celtic are dumped out of the Champions League by Mitterland. I don't know if you knew that. So as Rangers look as if they could possibly be going in, Celtic have been dumped out. And I've just caught that one. So sorry to spring it on you. Did you, did you see that result? I didn't see the result, uh, Vince, but I knew they were playing last night. Um, but there were so many matches going on that um, I wasn't keeping up with all of the results. But I, I thought Celtic would actually win that. Um, <laughs> so did they. <laughs> but they, they, but they, they've been shut out, haven't they? Uh, Rangers were also playing last night. And I don't know how, how that ended up either. Um, I was having a chat with um, a few friends yesterday when I went out to read the sports papers and that. And... It's only, it's only 
the English leagues, the, the Spanish league, the German leagues, and the Italian leagues, and the, the French also, that we get teams automatically into uh, the Champions League and the Europa League. All of the other countries, there were a few Danish teams playing last night, for example, uh, whose names I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, teams that we've all heard of, that they all have to play playoffs before actually getting into the actual competition. Um, and so Celtic are now out of the Champions League, is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying, and I'm also just very, very, very grateful for the fact that we do this, because I can't cope with all the football that's going on. There's just not there's not enough hours in the day, and I've got a bit of a life to lead as well. Um, and so to have your support and these things that you throw into our podcast, um, yeah, I really appreciate them, Rob, so well done for that. Um, I've got to also, I've got to bring in a little bit of sadness because it's another headline which uh, should not be over overlooked, and it's a Liverpool fan who suffered life-changing injuries in Hillsborough uh, disaster has died 32 years later. So, um, oh yes, I, 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 I caught that last night um, on the news. Yeah, um, yeah. Thirty odd years later, and he, he died of his um, injuries, didn't he? Well, it's um, Andrew Devine, uh, uh, 55 year old, um, and obviously um, the, the statement from Liverpool FC: it, it, our collective devastation is overwhelming, but so too is the realization that we were blessed to have had Andrew with us for 32 years. 96 other people died due to the crush at the FA Cup semi-final against Nottingham Forest in 1989. Mr Devine was described by his family as a much-loved son, brother and uncle who had been supported by his family and a team of dedicated carers. Um, we welcome the conclusion of the coroner, Mr Andre Rebello, made total at Liverpool coroner's court that Andrew was unlawfully killed, making him the 97th fatality of the tragic events that occurred on April the 15th, 1989. In 2016, an inquest jury ruled 96 Liverpool fans had been unlawfully killed in the Hillsborough disaster. Um, I think we have to um, obviously always remember that this is a human part of something which has become global finance. Um, and we love football, and my heart goes out to this family. A lifelong Liverpool supporter, Andrew uh, continued to attend matches at Anfield when possible, despite suffering the life-changing injuries at Hillsborough. And um, basically, I do remember one of my listeners on Under Thorough, Mary, um, she phoned up one day and she said, why do you always talk about football? And I try to explain it's because I love the game, but also because it's very, very important for communities. My background for study is communities and recreation and the community. That's what I studied. And basically, um, the whole thing for me is that, you know, when you read of a Liverpool fan who suffered after that event and then look at all the tragic stories of all those other people following a football team that I follow and I know that you keep in the background of your thoughts and I always keep your team leads in the background of my thoughts because basically if you've got friends um, true friends will always want your team to do well alright when you play us we don't want you to beat us but we always want you to be happy and not sort of be hammered that sort of thing so I just felt that was important to add that into our podcast and um, add in that from Rob and myself, and I'm sure you're going to endorse me when I say this, Rob, um, we do wish the families well and obviously hope that um, the future will be remembering uh, this young man. Uh, he is still collectively at 55, still a young man. So, Andrew, you're in our thoughts and you're in our podcast for the right reasons. Um, I think you'd feel the same, Rob, would you not? No, oh, yes, I do, Vince, indeed. Like I say, I, I saw this um, um, news item um, yesterday evening, and I, I, as you know, I'm not a Liverpool fan particularly, so um, I didn't know anything about this um, guy who passed away yesterday or a couple of days ago due to the injuries he suffered um, all those years ago. But yeah. um, 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I think everybody in, in anybody, not just the world of football, but anybody with a bit of compassion would feel really, really sorry that this has happened. Um, and I say his family, well, um, best wishes to them. But a very, very sad event, really, isn't it? Um, yes. So many years after, so many years afterwards, and he, he succumbs to the injuries that there were no fault of his own. Um, all those years ago, and it just could, it, it, it never goes away, does it? The Hillsborough thing. Um, yeah. It, it's but let, let's just hope that lessons have been learned, as the politicians say, and nothing like that ever happens again. Um, because uh, you saw it when it was panning out live. I, I uh, watched it when it was panning out live. Yeah. And we didn't know the enormity of the what was actually happening, did we? But it. Well, we um, we didn't. And uh, also, uh, I was on radio in France when the Heisel Stadium had happened, and I had people phoning up saying, "Why, why are all Liverpool fans hooligans?" And I said, "Of course they're not all hooligans, you know, because basically it was uh, just so sad." And um, anyway, just to get back to today, then, and thank you for your yeah, thoughts yeah. on that one, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. A couple of names in the news uh, was start with a naughty boy first and um, this of course is Wayne Rooney and um, I, I think that looks like it's been a set up um, you know whichever way I, I think some of these football I don't want to say stars but they are sort of I suppose still in the news um, because of who they are he was a good player and uh, just they need to start thinking a little bit more sensibly about the way they conduct themselves I know possibly you know, we read about Wayne Rooney and Colleen Rooney and all this stupid stuff in the in the blinking papers. They really do talk some utter rubbish. Um, even if it's true, it's rubbish and it shouldn't be in the papers. Washing your dirty linen in public. But um, these guys must know there's a chance of somebody dropping them in it. So either be a little bit more sensible and completely, if you've got to go and play the field, do it away from everybody, uh, or basically, uh, just be aware that you've got your family, and you've got your fans, and you've got your football management, and the people that pay you money. I I just feel that that is so silly, and I I think you'll agree with me, I'm not being too silly about it, am I? No, well, wait a minute, I mean, he's 35 years old now, and um, but he's a fan of he's been married to Colleen, he's his childhood sweetheart, she's had to put up with all sorts, but I mean, she's not perfect either. Um, not like, but he, he got caught the other day, for anyone who doesn't know. He was set up, um, it looks like a set up anyway, with three of these um, young, these young dolly birds in the old days, didn't they, on Tartivist. But... Um, they, they're, they're all what they call these influencers um, in the modern world. They're all on Instagram and, and Twitter and things like but, that. But the people that tell... on beauty and things. But somehow, it was a birthday party um, at, a, at a private club. It doesn't sound like a very... It, well, it's a private club in Manchester. Um, and Wayne Rooney was stupid enough to go back to a hotel room with these three young women, all aged 21. Um, nothing actually went on, um, apart from the fact that they were taking photographs of Wayne Rooney. And when he fell asleep, um, one, one of them actually um, took a photograph next to him and she bared her backside. And the caption was either Mooney Rooney or Rooney Mooney. Um, I can't remember which way around it was, but he hasn't got the brains he was born with, has he? Um, it's not the first time he's been caught doing things that a, a professional footballer shouldn't do. I mean, um, as we've mentioned lots of times, I think one of the professional footballers' jobs should be to set an example for the uh, for the youngsters, and there are some that do. There, there are lots of professional footballers, ones that never get in the news really who really do do decent things for society, appreciate where they are, but uh, Wayne Rooney, he seems, he seems to be a sandwich shark, doesn't he? Yeah. OK, look, uh, pressures of time, so we're going to look next at um, an exoneration of Xabi Alonso. Uh, Xabi Alonso 
graced the midfield for Liverpool. He was a great player, uh, but he did have fraud um, charges against him in the in the Spanish courts. And they, they've actually said that even though he, he probably has done something, they're going to make sure that the, the slate gets wiped clear. I mean, it's the way that Spain does its business. It's rather a strange thing. In the one hand, they're reporting it probably all went on and it was to do with his image rights or, or something, uh, and yet uh, this wiping the, the slate clean. So there's that side of, um, you, you know, uh, something that's gone on. And then the other side is that Fernando Torres, who also was around similar sort of times in Liverpool, has gone back to Real Madrid, uh, sorry, Atletico de Madrid, as uh, I think it's the B team coach or something. So your comments on uh, those particular two gentlemen? Right, well, the, uh, let's start with uh, Xavi Alonso. He was accused of um, tax fraud and he's been tried for tax fraud, tax fraud three times. Um, but eventually, um, it, the, the case was dropped because they they couldn't find enough evidence. Um, they, they looked for a trail of money and things like that. He, he was using a, um, an offshore company based in Madeira in Portugal. Um, or his accountants were. Um, he himself probably had nothing to do with it, like Messi had nothing to do with his business when he was um, caught for doing... Um, tax dodges and things like that. It's, it's all down to the people in the background, I would say. But uh, Xavi Alonso was, he's now he's the uh, manager of the B team, La Real Sociedad. As you know, it's my team. That's where he started, that's where he's from. And he was offered the uh, Borussia Dortmund manager's job um, recently, and he turned it down because he wants to stay at uh, La Real Sociedad for at least another season um, to build up his experience as a manager. But he's been found not guilty um, at the end of the day. And um, the other one's nothing to do with um, tax fraud or anything, is it? Fernando Fernando Torres has now been taken on by Atletico Madrid, which is where he started. Um, He started there when he was a kid. He went through the youth system. He started playing for them when he was about 17. Um, he was the youngest captain I think they've ever had. He was about 18 when he when he became captain of Atletico Madrid. Didn't know that. And then he went on to. Oh, oh yeah, he's called that El, El Nino. He's called El Nino Torres, isn't he? I remember um, that. But... I remember him being called that, but I didn't realise that was why. So again, little snippets, Rob. Well done. Oh no, well, I, I, I remember him from um, back then because um, well, you, you've spoken with my uh, my godson Aitor. He is an Atletico Madrid fan because his dad's an Atletico Madrid fan. So when he was a kid, now he now he's 28, um, his bedroom was full of posters of uh, Fernando Torres and other players as well at the time. But yes, yeah, so I, 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 I've known about Fernando Torres since he was um, since he was a very young player, and they called him El Nino because he still he still does have a, a very young looking face. But when he was um, 17 years old, um, he still was developing into the player that he became. And he has had an absolutely excellent career. Um, I mean, at Liverpool, that's probably where you know him from first, at yes. least. I mean, he, he had a, an excellent um, career at Liverpool. He, I think he, he, I think all was uh, all told. I think, he got, um, I think it was 114 caps for the Spanish team. Both of these, Xavi Alonso and Fernando Torres, were both in the team that won the uh, 28 um, Euros, the 2010 World Cup, and then the following Euros in 2012. But now they're all in the 30s. Um, and Fernando Torres, one of his a couple of years ago, he's been away from football for a couple of years. But um, now he's decided to go back in, and they've made him the um, trainer of the it's called the Juvenela, which is the under-19 team of Atletico Madrid. So he will be trying to bring the youngsters to play in the first team. Um, and, well, good on him. Um, he, he's a nice guy. He's never been in any kind of sort of like scandalous situation. Um, an excellent footballer in, in his day. He was really, really good. 
and now he's going to use his experience to try and bring Lucas through. Brilliant. Well done. Um, yeah. We go to a different um, a, a different topic now. English football will introduce heading guidance across every level of the professional and amateur game from the start of the 2021-22 season. The new guidance, which is specifically focused on training sessions where the majority of heading occurs, has been designed to meet the requirements of each level of English football. The guidance will be applicable to clubs in the Europe, in the Premier League, EFL, the English Football League, uh, Barclays Women's Super League, FA Women's Championship, the National League System, the Women's Football Pyramid Tier 3 and below, all grassroots football and across the England national teams. And um, the guidance, by the way, uh, is for the children as well. Um, the primary studies identified the varying forces involved in heading a football which were provided to a cross-football working group um, to help shape the guidance. Based on those early findings which showed the majority of headers involved low forces, the initial focus of the guidance will be on headers that involve higher force. These are typically headers following a long pass, more than 35 metres, or from crosses, corners and free kicks. Um, it will be re recommended that a maximum of 10 higher force headers are carried out in any training week. The recommendation is provided to protect player welfare and will be reviewed regularly as further research is undertaken to understand more regarding the impact of heading in football. Uh, one of the, I won't say movers and shakers in a light-hearted way, because it is a very serious um, point of view, uh, which uh, is obviously to do with the late Jeff Astle, um, and it's Dawn Assel, who is uh, obviously West Brom related uh, through her husband's career, her late husband's career. Plus, of course, we do know of how many of the um, the old England um, winning 1966, the World Cup, how many of that team have also uh, developed Alzheimer's. And, of course, they are showing the links between Alzheimer's and heading the football. Now, uh, again, I don't think this is total science. I think there is science involved. Um, but um, I think that uh, sometimes when you read something like I've just been talking about, recommended that a maximum of 10 higher force headers are carried out in any training week. I mean, that really does not make an awful lot of sense you know if there is a science behind this give us the science let us know it does appear to me uh, that there will be an impact from heading a football especially coming from great height and coming from an altitude that um, obviously might have... Well, it's not like the old-style football, which used to be absolutely heavy and would drop onto your head. Um, again, I do wonder how many of these are really um, just about football and how many, if they really studied the players that have gone, were actually involved in maybe high levels of alcohol. That would make it um, a good comparison because basically, um, you know, Alzheimer's is a massive problem for a massive amount of the population. And I think research into food and drink would be far more beneficial than specifically looking at football. I mean, surely boxing has got to have more blows on the head from a bout of boxing than a game of football. Uh, what do you think about this, Rob? Well, yes, this is something that um, scientists and people are looking into at the moment, isn't it? Um, Jeff Hassel was probably the first case which um, was flagged up. It was his daughter, I think, his daughter. I think Don Hassel's his daughter. Um, but he got Alzheimer's and unfortunately passed away from it. Um, several high-profile high players, um, as you mentioned, in the 1966 World Cup uh, winning team, um, Nobby Styles suffered from Alzheimer's for many years, and as we know, Nobby Styles went in hard, didn't he? He, he 
he was fearless and he didn't regret anything actually but when I asked him at the end of his life he didn't regret anything either um, Jack Charlton um, also went in hard and he went in with his head he passed away last year from Alzheimer's as well Jackie's brother who was a legend Bobby Charlton is now 83 and he's also been um, diagnosed with Alzheimer's um, so it is if you like a talking point but as you say, um, boxing, they're also looking into that and also they're looking into rugby because there are quite a lot of um, fairly young ex-rugby players who are now developing symptoms of, um, of Alzheimer's or some kind of dementia because of repeated um, hits to the head. I mean, let's face it, rugby is a contact sport, isn't it? I mean, um, you can't get away from it. But... Um, now they've brought in this rule that in training you can only have 10 higher force headers in training a week. Um, can you, can who you decides, honestly... Who decides which is, a, which, is a, which is a lower force header, which is a higher force header? Um, as we mentioned before, actually, Alan Shearer um, has volunteered himself to go through, um, on a regular basis, tests... Um, on his own brain, because as you know, Alan Shearer used to go in really hard, didn't he? He used to, he used to hit the ball, and he? he used to head it in like. Well, I mean, like if you talk, if you're talking about ten in training, he would do probably ten in a game. And the, the other thing that really does um, bear some sort of, re- it's got to have a relationship in this, is maybe looking at the families of people that have had uh, this problem. How many in the family have? Uh, in you know preceding years have they had Alzheimer's how many of the family uh, maybe had issues with um, with drinking uh, don't forget that most of the football stars will be going to events and drinking alcohol um, on a regular basis especially in the years straight after their retirement and before they get too old so um, you know I'm not trying to um, be, be flippant in the slightest about this, but it does really appear that the target in football, um, when really I would think there's other issues that they should target well before this. I mean, you know, uh, certainly if you've had clashes of heads during games, I would go back through uh, maybe the records and find out how many times people like all those stars that we mentioned have actually had uh, maybe head clashes because. Like I did say earlier, it would appear to me that, um, you know, you wouldn't expect boxers not to have had this same problem. You only have to watch boxers being hit. They, they target the head. I mean, the head is jabbed continuously for the best part of maybe um, 30 minutes. And it would appear to me that that doesn't appear to have ever crossed the threshold of becoming a problem uh, involving um, Alzheimer's and a professional sport. It doesn't seem to have ever related to that. We do know that there is and there are plenty of boxers who have become uh, problems with the brain after they've uh, retired and probably specifically retired through that. But I, I don't see why they're not looking at the food and drink component of this well before they start looking at the whole of football because for all for all that I've ever uh, looked at um, children for example um, there aren't that many kids and they've been this is also in primary schools that they're laying down the law about this Um, I don't see many primary school kids going in doing the the headers you know that that you expect maybe from say 18 and upwards in some of the lower leagues so i do detect a little bit more than just um an illness in this i think again it's a possibility of having a go at the most popular game in the world that won't be a popular comment because overall everybody will agree the and i'm reading a quote here it's absolutely essential that all clubs are working with the same guidelines and that the health and well-being of the players is the most important factor. Nobody should disagree with that. 
the guidance is just the beginning and we need as a game to continue to invest and develop good quality research uh, to further understand the risks and impact of heading within the game. Now, um, you've played the game, I've played the game. I know that virtually uh, every time I've played the game, I've been involved in, in heading the ball and um, we've known players who basically um, have been around us in amateur leagues, amateur games, semi-professional games, uh, who have been good headers of the ball. You'll hear the expression, oh, he's a good header of the ball. So I'm not making anything up here. So to immediately and utterly quickly go to say that that has caused uh, people to have had um, Alzheimer's, I think is uh, an overstatement. They've got to look at lifestyle. They've got to look at the the overall uh, overall lifestyle. I'll bet you very very few of any of those players that we've mentioned were um, probably a teetotal. That's just an observation without knowing anything at all about it. Yeah. Um, again, it's, it's, it, that is for the scientists and um, statisticians and things to try and compile the data, isn't it? But um, one that I found out about recently is uh, Kenny Sanson, who uh, Arsenal. Got, I think got 58, 50, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Crystal Palace Arsenal. He's 62 years old now, and he has been through, after he left football, um, Gambling problems, alcohol problems. Um, he couldn't go anywhere. It, he couldn't walk down the street with somebody saying, "Hey, Kenny, I buy you a pint," and he couldn't resist that. Now, yeah. he was. Um, it was in May 2020. He was diagnosed with uh, something called what Wernicke-Kosakoff syndrome, which I don't know exactly what it is, but it's, it's, it's a form of dementia. And they, they're putting that down, basically, to his lifestyle rather than his actual um, form of play. But, um, yeah, it's a very complex situation, isn't it? I mean, um, I think repeated blows to the head over a period of years. I mean, Muhammad Ali, um, he didn't have Alzheimer's, did he? I think he had, was it Parkinson's, Muhammad Ali? Something had. like that, yeah. Yeah, um, again, it's another sort of brain-related um, injury and or, or illness which basically um kills you in the end but yeah they, um, it's something that is a big subject at the moment and i'll say alan shearer alan shearer is now um about 52 i think he is he was a big header of the ball i mean he went in hard and he used to practice headers he used to practice headers all the time and he used to do these higher force headers in training um, every single day you just stay behind after training and practice from crosses trying to get it in and that is why he was such a good header of the ball so far they've found nothing wrong with him um, but he has put himself up as a guinea pig as we mentioned before so that throughout the rest of his life the um, scientists are going to monitor what actually happens with his brain as um, time moves on in order to try and work out if heading the ball has anything to do with um, things like Alzheimer's and, and business like that. It, it's all it's all very experimental. But the easy target again is football, isn't it? it it's the nice, easy one that everybody can relate to quickly. Um, and, you know, it's sort of, to me... Uh, there are a lot more sports that could give you that problem. Rugby tackling, I mean, you're going in with your head lowered straight away, far more than uh, a, f a football will head the ball. I mean, th for goodness sake, the game is called football as opposed to headball. So, y you know, I, I think that gives yourself a clue straight away. I think if they really want to find out a bit more about this problem, look at food, look at drink, by all means, 
there will be a, a, a modicum of other things that have got to be considered but I think that there would be the first port of call and then you've got to look at the genetics of the the parents and other members of the family and there's so many things in that to just immediately start picking on kids in school playing football is nonsense because um, they just don't do that sort of uh, heading at that sort of age uh, and that was uh, part of what I was reading this morning. Um, Rob, you'll never forget uh, that, that we've prepared for uh, looking at the structure of the football in England and Spain, but we can keep that up our sleeves. We've got 30 seconds only. I can't believe how quickly this has gone. If you can quickly say goodbye, then wrap it up. Um, we'll look forward to including a Spanish gentleman looking at the English football leagues uh, next week. And so look forward to next week, Rob. Yeah, that has gone really quickly, hasn't it, Vince? And uh, still lots of talk about, but we can pick that up again next week. Yeah, hopefully next Thursday we'll have my uh, good friend uh, Ramon Garin. Um, a Spanish guy who can speak English very well, very knowledgeable, lots of experience in all sorts of different things. And hopefully next week we'll we'll have a different podcast, a different theme. Okay, Rob. Um, look, I'm going to save this now, um, and mm -hmm. then what I've got to do 